get real, get better, get improved capability to the fleet, and do it in record time. Facing the challenge of upgrading the E-6B fleet, the Airborne Strategic Command, Control, and Communications Program Office knew they needed to get this vital aircraft back in service as quickly as possible. When initial modification time soared, the team embraced the red and found creative ways to improve processes and significantly reduce turnaround times. And on today's podcast, we're going to find out how. Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and joining me today is PMA 271 Program Manager, Captain Adam Scott. Jamie Grubb, PMA 271 Principal Deputy Program Manager, and Commander Jeff Desmond, PMA 271 E6B Mission Communications Systems Lead. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. So, Captain, tell me about the Airborne Strategic Command Control and Communications Program Office and its role in the E6B modification effort. So, PMA 271 is a program office here at the Naval Air Systems Command that currently provides the capability to connect the president to his or her nuclear forces through the E6B. And it's at the beginning of the process of recapitalizing to what we are currently calling EXX. And why 271 exists is for deterrence. We're currently performing that deterrence through the E6B and eventually we'll perform it through the EXX. We field capability for the United States Strategic Command And what the E-6 does is it provides an airborne connection to the entire triad. For the Navy specifically, we take pride in the fact that we're connected to the ballistic missile submarines, our most survivable leg of the triad. 271 is a major defense acquisition program here at the Naval Air Systems Command. And uh, today we'll be talking to you a little bit about some of our get real, get better successes on the E-6 side of the program office. So PMA 271 is achieving success, reducing modification turnaround times using get real, get better principles. Now, before we get into specifics, what does get real, get better mean to you as program manager? It's a great question. Get real, get better success is improved mission outcomes. We don't apply get real, get better principles for fun. We're doing it seeking improved mission outcomes. The CNO published Get Real, Get Better principles as a way to guide the Navy towards improved mission outcomes. Before we get into kind of the details of what we saw here in 271, I wanted to take the time to review the six principles that the CNO published. The first one is align on standards and goals. The second is find and embrace the red. You'll hear people when they talk about Get Real, Get Better, they talk about embracing the red. The third one is encouraging learning through trust and respect. And I'll talk today a lot about the importance of trust and respect. Specifying ownership is the fourth principle in Get Real, Get Better. And the fifth is using Navy problem-solving methods. And the final one, the sixth, is fixing and elevating barriers. I have seen as the program manager in 271 that these principles provide the teams a framework to improve their performance. The principles do absolutely nothing on their own. It really becomes about the leaders frenetically applying these principles and working with their teams to get better at the application of the principles. And again, I'll circle back to where I started. Get real, get better success is improved mission outcomes. That is the reason to do it. Absolutely. So when it came to the E6B modification effort, what was the goal or desired outcome? What were you really trying to achieve? 
I'll start by talking about what was going on, what's been going on, and where we are with the E6. First, I'll define what we were going after and a little bit of the problem. We The E6B aircraft is a communication suite, and the modification that we're talking about is we call it Block 2. So during the, our time together today, I'll refer to Block 2. And when I say Block 2, I'm talking about a series of five engineering change proposals that were incorporated into the E6B aircraft. And what those changes do, they integrate five new capability upgrades into the E6B aircraft. And our goal, so going back to your original question, right, the goal is to deliver those improved capabilities to the United States Strategic Command on schedule. We were facing serious problems because nobody believed our schedule. We were not in a good place with all of our stakeholders and those who were counting on us, and nobody believed our schedule. It literally changed every month, and it slid to the right and got later and later each month. So we had to tackle being able to perform consistently so that the people who were counting on us could plan accordingly. And to do this, we needed to reduce the turnaround time on that Block 2 modification. There was a requirement to reduce it about 60%. We were up at 475 days for an average turnaround time on our Block 2 modifications, and we knew that the requirement was 180 days. And to make that huge change required a lot of work. And that was where the application of Get Real, Get Better principles began to really take fruit here in 271. And we'll talk to you about how those changes helped us out. So as you mentioned, this was this was a big effort. What challenges or obstacles did you encounter and how did you overcome them? We had excessive modification turnaround times, way longer than the fleet needed. And what that ended up resulting in is the fleet was waiting on a new capability and we weren't delivering it. So the first one is excessive turnaround times. The other one was we had nebulous ownership of the changes that were happening. When we started, our construct was flawed. We had three different organizations doing installs for those five changes. So we we had to tackle nebulous ownership. And I'll tie that back to the Get Real, Get Better principle of specific ownership, specify ownership. That was something we needed to tackle. And I alluded to the other one, but we had low trust, extremely low trust with that the program office would deliver on our schedule. And when we began to try to address those, we set a requirement and we built a plan to get there. Our requirement was to get to 180 days turnaround time. And we built a plan that got to that requirement. And then we measured performance to the plan. And it sounds simple, but the devil's in the details. We set a plan that didn't get there from one plane to the next. We built a plan that had a learning curve and it took us We said it'll take us five planes to get there, if you will. We published that learning curve and we made sure everybody knew where we were. And then we asked for help as we needed it. And the focus became on building a system of systems that achieve the desired outcome. Rather than focusing on like a point solution for the aircraft that was currently in flow, we needed something that would repeatedly produce the result. And I'll give Commander Desmond a chance to kind of talk a little bit about his perspective on what he saw. 
Thank you, sir. Yeah, as Captain Scott mentioned, we recognized that the construct we had with the multiple integrators was not working for us. So when we awarded our contract to the prime integrator, we knew this was a great opportunity to start fresh and and improve. So we set up a post-award conference 30 days after contract award, and we met at the site in Lake Charles. And uh, we stressed that, hey, we succeed or fail in this as a team. We expressed to the team that the 180-day turnaround time is a requirement for our program. We needed to work together to get there. And then we explained the guiding principles of the team that, hey, we have to work transparently and be honest with each other. And right off the bat, you know, there are a lot of challenges standing up a new modification line at a new site. So out of that post-award conference, we started the process of assigning, you know, clear requirements and clear owners of those with tasks and needed timelines. And we set up a weekly battle rhythm where we would meet and assess our progress on those. And that was kind of how the program kicked off. If I'd piggyback one thing on your comment there, Jeff, it was about the guiding principles. You talked about guiding principles and the Naval Aviation Enterprise has begun to adopt those guiding principles and to put those out. And I think the thought that I had as you were talking is just how it really was an evolutionary process. When we talk today, kind of 18, 24 months into the process, we've learned a lot. We didn't have guiding principles at the beginning. I think they kind of evolved in the ability to to reference those and to talk through them was something that uh, we began to value more and more. The concept of uh, learning, unlearning, and relearning has been a key enabler for us, right? We try things, we figure out what's working, and then we unlearn what's not working and relearn kind of a new method. And, And it's evolved. What we're talking about today may sound like it's nirvana, but it was a painful process to get there. And we're not there. It, it takes time. Like, it'll continue to evolve. So who was involved and who were some of the key stakeholders? So obviously us in the program office. Northrop Grumman was our prime contractor as we moved to the new contract. And then we had more and more people involved. With the program executive office, we had the commander here at Naval Air Systems Command, Vice Admiral Chevy. He was involved. Boeing was involved. V2X, our contract logistics support contractor, the Fleet Ready Center Southeast Fleet Support Team, the Commander at Fleet Ready Center, Collins, Raytheon. As we looked at what problem there was, we would add whoever was necessary to get the problem solved. And um, as a result of that, we generated the heads-up display or the HUD, and it was born in the spring of 22. And what that did was it forced people to get together regularly and to talk transparently. We weren't the first people here at the Naval Air Systems Command to use HUDs, but it's become a good descriptor of what we do and how we meet to assemble and meet frequently, pass information widely, which enables us to make decisions closer to a point of execution. I'm sure that ability to directly communicate was hugely helpful. So Commander, how did you get the team to embrace the red and how did it help the team identify barriers, improve performance and reduce delays? So Captain Scott already talked about it a little bit, but a key to that was trust and accountability. So we tried to set that from the start, working with the contractor. And to make a a HUD work, you really need it to be a safe place where people are willing to elevate their issues and problems to the right level. And so I think one of the things we did as we stood up our debt there, we had about 60 days to induct our first aircraft. And there were a lot of responsibilities across the team, both on the government side and then for the contractor. 
specifically on the government side, we owed updates to tech data. We owed a, a large amount of government furnished equipment, including the kits required for the modifications, as well as government support equipment. As we stood up, what are our requirements? What do we need to get there? The government team took ownership of that. So we kind of led the way and set the example by providing assigned ownership. Hey, here's a person on the government team who's responsible for getting this kit to this location, and they need to get it there by this date. And I think by setting that example and demonstrating on our side that we're willing to come to this meeting and say, here's where we're delinquent, here's where we're missing the mark, but here's what we're doing to get better and do it in that environment. It demonstrated that behavior, and it really encouraged you know the our contracting partners. And then as the HUD has expanded, the, the rest of the greater team to uh, you know mirror those same behaviors. And by doing that, it's allowed us to really get to the root cause of what the issues are. And then it's allowed our leadership to know what they are and know where they can step in to help us. And I think a big part of that is the the climate set by the leadership that said, hey, it's okay to have a problem. It's okay to elevate it and talk about it honestly and transparently because we're going to work together to find out what the solution is. So you mentioned getting to a root cause. What specific actions did the team take to improve performance and reduce turnaround time? So as Captain Scott mentioned, the HUD was critical in that because if you have a weekly reporting where you're talking transparently about your problems, it's going to bring out what the issues are. And then by expanding the audience and the membership of that group, we made sure that we had the the right folks on who could understand the problems and then help provide us solutions. One of the things we found that was really on the first aircraft that was slowing up our schedule was a request for engineering information. Um, And as we stood up the team, there's responsibilities there both on the contractor side and then our government partners at the FST to analyze deficiencies in the aircraft and what the engineering solution is that we could safely move forward with the work. And we didn't have good processes in place at first. And so we built up a pretty big backlog and we eventually identified that this was what was really holding up the work. So we were able to, in the near term, we said, okay, well, we have this backlog. We're never going to dig out of it if we just keep doing what we're doing business as usual. So we were able to surge government engineering folks on site to assist the contractors. And so in the near term, this really helped us because it helped dig us out of the hole that we had gotten in and get us back on track. But it also helped identify processes within our program that we could improve. And I'll talk about that a little more later, but we saw that improvement as we moved on from aircraft to aircraft where we were able to improve the interoperability of the two engineering teams. And then we were also able to identify some areas to streamline the process. So Commander, earlier you mentioned trust and building that comfortable environment. How did you motivate the team to elevate barriers and and who did they go to? So we found that the, the key with it was to identify what the barrier was. And then amongst our team, if there was someone there who could solve it, we would utilize that person to help. If it was an external entity, then we would work with the team to figure out who the right person there was. A great example of that is as we were standing up the debt and we had our first aircraft, one thing we recognized was we needed to get uh, the site at Lake Charles accredited to host top secret level material that was going to be required once we got to the end phase with the checkout of the aircraft and systems work. So as a team, we kind of recognized who the entities and organizations were that controlled that. We were able to get the right points of contact there. We elevated that to our leadership at uh, Program Executive Office Alpha, and they were able to reach out for us. They requested help, explain what the problem was, and they were able to expedite those clearances by, I don't know, probably 
you know, something that normally would take six months, they were able to get it in within a month or two. And that allowed us to get where we needed to uh, be to achieve our outcomes and be ready to go once we got to the test and checkout phase. It's interesting as leaders, what I saw Jeff and his team do is encourage folks to elevate barriers. You have different organizations at different levels of trust within the group that's assembled on the HUD. And you really have to kind of coach and cajole out the people who maybe are lower trust and don't feel like they can bring barriers up. And being honest with each other and calling out when somebody's not embracing the red, as we would say, and not accepting that, hey, we're below performance to plan. And as leaders, the level of trust is constantly changing. And what you're doing is trying to find the folks who are low trust and coach them back to where they gain trust in the system and the group. And it goes back to where we started, right? Success in Get Real, Get Better principles is mission success. And the mission outcomes are improving and coaching people to that. So with so many people involved, Captain, how did you get all those stakeholders aligned to the same goal? I will tell you, looking backwards, success through trust and respect and cultivating trust and respect among the group and the importance of the HUD cannot be overstated. The HUD is not a meeting. It is where all organizations gather, everybody involved gather at a regular frequency. For us, it was weekly. We found that weekly was the right period to meet. That was part of the the struggle, right? Meeting regularly, meeting weekly. People would say, hey, what changes in a week? A lot can change in a week. And when you meet weekly, we were widely distributing information. We were not withholding information from any of the stakeholders. We distributed information as widely as we could. We began to see that decisions were able to be made closer to the point of execution. All parties were on the same page. A common mistake I see now in organizations is not meeting regularly enough or poor distribution of information. Even within our organization, this team got very good at applying these principles. Trust, it's not static, and it's something that has to be cultivated and taken care of. And getting all the stakeholders aligned involved a lot of teaching. It's teaching people the principles and kind of re-acknowledging what was going on. The second thing I'd say is getting the stakeholders aligned is just setting the requirements. The requirements are the requirements. We did not talk in terms of goals or targets. We set the requirements 180 days. That is the requirement. Yes, today we're at 475 days, but the requirement is still 180. And then we, with those clear targets set, we were able to work to get all stakeholders aligned to that requirement because everybody knew it's 180. And all things were aligned behind that turnaround time. All right, so let's talk about the value of data. How did data help you identify the best focus areas to go after, or maybe the best approach to a solution? So with data, as everybody has the information and we look at it together publicly, and the public forum turns into, for us, the HUD, you're able to constantly assess where you are on a performance to plan. You know the plan to get to the requirement, the 180 days, and everybody is real time assessing the data on where we are. As we solved one problem, then we would identify what the next thing was. For example, Jeff mentioned uh, requests for engineering information. We built a huge backlog of those, and as we began to attack that problem, then that was no longer the barrier to get into the 180 days. Then it became a supply problem, and so we began 
spending more of our time together looking at the data on where we were with parts, critical parts. What are the parts shortages? What's out on order? What barrier do we have? Who do we need to call? Do you need in engineering data from Boeing? In real time, like Jeff was saying, real time we began solving problems as a group and identifying specific action owners, right? So, okay, by next week, you're going to have taken care of this, whatever the problem was. And then we would hold each other accountable in the next meeting. All right, so let's talk about the PMA 271 team. Tell me, what behaviors do you think contributed to the team's success? Let me review the Get Real, Get Better principles, and I'll kind of talk about some of the things here. First one, align on standards and goals. 271 and Commander Desmond's team did a great job of setting the requirement 180 days and aligning on that standard or goal. The second one, finding and embracing the red. They built a plan that got them to 180 days and then they weekly measured performance to the plan and they embraced the places where they were off plan and the focus wasn't being on off plan, it became on getting how to get back to plan the third one, learning through trust and respect. We both have been saying it. success was only achieved through building trust and respect. The times where our trust was low, we fought with each other and we it impeded progress. The other behavior I would say that is a huge contributor to team success, and this is something we've been within the office, we've been trying to really hold people to standards, is specifying ownership, that fourth principle. We list specific owners. We don't list organizational owners. There are not tasks that are owned by 271 or owned by Northrop. They're owned by a specific person. And when there is a belly button who feels ownership for something, it changes behaviors. And we're very clear on when we expect things to be done and where we are with the current status. The final thing that I'd say behavior that I'll talk through in the principles is the fix or elevate barriers. This is part of why the CNO has put this out. As a Navy, we tend to hold our problems too close to our chest, and the team has seen that the benefit of elevating barriers and letting folks know they're not going to get in trouble for being red, right? They're going to elevate what they need and being specific on what can be done to resolve it. And it, it's been those behaviors that have really helped us improve our success. And for my part, I'll say on the uh, Mission Comms team specifically, um, first of all, I'm blessed to have a, a team of talented, dedicated folks working for me who they really understand what the Airborne Strategic Command Control and Communications mission is all about. So they're really dedicated to that mission. When you have folks like that, they're willing to go above and beyond and do what they can to achieve the goal. So we understand the mission. We're aligned on the goals. I encourage my team to embrace the red and make sure if you have a problem, that's what the problem is. Let's just, we'll identify what it is. We'll understand how we got there as a future lesson learned. But really, my goal is always going to be, hey, what can we do to help you with your problem? What do we do to achieve our required outcome and make sure that we're achieving what we need for ultimately, right, getting the capability out to the fleet on time so that they can, uh, so that they can use it? Absolutely. So, Captain, how would you say this new way of thinking or maybe some lessons learned have changed the way you do business? I don't know that I've gotten to where I feel like it's a new way of thinking. I know it's a new packaging, but the concept of I need to go to a certain place, a requirement, I need to develop a plan to get to that requirement, 
and then I need to measure performance to plan. When I'm off the plan, I need to embrace the fact that I'm off and identify barriers. Once you see the beauty of the ability to execute that, you can't unsee it. The application of that across our entire office, right? We're talking about one one portion of the office right now, but there are other efforts. When we began to go after our depot maintenance turnaround time, which was another high number that needed to get to a low number, we started the process at the very beginning and we assembled the group of people who are responsible for depot turnaround times and they demonstrated the same level of immaturity the Block 2 team did at the beginning, and we had to coach them towards the level of performance that they needed to get their turnaround time down. On the EXX side, on recapitalizing the aircraft, the same things are happening where it's, hey, identify where you need to go, build a plan to get there, and measure performance, and cultivate a team of people who are assembling regularly to talk about where they are and figure out how do we get there. So it's really refined the way that I do business and it's refined the way that I look at problems and it's demonstrated to me the repeated success of the application of those principles. If a group of people can apply those together together well and hold each other accountable, they can achieve success. And it really opens up a lot of improved mission performance for the Naval Aviation Enterprise and for the Navy as a whole is what I see. So as you moved through this process, through this effort, what did you learn? And how did you encourage learning throughout the process? So we've talked a lot about engineering as we've talked through this podcast. And so with our first aircraft going through MOD, we recognize that engineering turnaround times were a big contributor to delays in our schedule. And, you know, my initial look at it, my thought was, well, this is what the contract says, how we do engineering, and this is historically what it takes. You know, what we're being asked to do is not possible. We're doing the best we can. That was the initial thought. And then as we got together with the team, we engaged with, you know, our partners at the FST and with with our contractor, Northrop Grumman, kind of looked at the problem different ways. Really, what are we trying to achieve here? And what we're trying to achieve is maximizing our touch labor time on the aircraft. So we looked at a number of engineering initiatives that we could do to achieve that goal of maximizing the technician touch time, right? So uh, the team came up with, they, they looked at doing an envelope analysis, which expanded the limits that required engineering support. They put in process to do engineering change orders where there were issues with drawings. And they looked at ways that we could manufacture some of the parts ahead of time that we knew were kind of high risk parts that we would have to uh, replace. And through all of these initiatives, initiatives, we were able to actually significantly reduce that backlog on future aircraft. And we really, what we did was we reduced the number of engineering tags that even had to go through the system. And this, for me, this was kind of an eye-opening learning experience. It was like, wow, like if, you know, if we just did status quo, we never would have got here. And so then we took that and we expanded it, you know, let's, well, we did this for engineering. Let's look at the other processes. Let's look at how we're doing production control. Let's look at how we're doing our logistics and our kitting. And it has really paid dividends for us and achieving our, our requirements for the program. He just described taking a systems of systems approach at solving problems. The team was looking at it and could have just solved the problem for that plane that was going through. But when they stepped back, they set up a system that was better prepared for future aircraft and would decrease the number of requests that came in. And, and that learning And watching this team get it has been amazing to watch. 
So as we wrap up today's podcast, I'd like to leave all of our listeners with a bit of advice. Captain, tell me, why do we need to pull in these get real, get better principles? Why is it so important? How did it lead to your success? The first thing I'd say is get real, get better success is improved mission outcomes. We do not apply these principles just for fun. Like they are not for fun. It's to improve our mission outcomes. And I have seen that applied well and applied consistently, they achieve improved mission outcomes and achieve success. The other thing I would say is success is built through trust and respect, cultivating trust and respect with all organizations that are involved in achieving the requirement that you want to get to is a key. And then the final thing that I would say is the requirements are requirements. Don't call them goals or targets. Set your requirements. And even if you're not meeting the requirements today, build your plan that you can publicize and then publicly review it to get to your requirements. We did bring with us uh, Jamie Grubb, who's the new principal deputy to PMA 271. She's been with us about four months now. We brought her just because she has a unique perspective, having come in after we were probably 18 months into this process. And she can provide like an insider's perspective who came from the outside. And so I'll pass it over to Jamie just for her observations on what she's seen. Thank you, sir. So hearing about the program's use of the Get Real, Get Better techniques, particularly the trust, the transparency, the embrace the red, the collaboration to solve the challenges, and then the success it produced for the E6B team. It was one of the things that drew me to apply for the PMA 271 principal deputy position. And so since joining the team four months ago, I've got to see firsthand how the team continues to improve not only the block two, but the depot efforts that we talked about week after week, continuing to drive these things home and see continued success on the program. So they've created that space that makes me feel welcome and they've always encouraged and received my perspective. So I've found it very inspiring to be part of such a groundbreaking movement, such a wonderful team that's doing great things for the Naval Aviation community. Such a great way to wrap up today's podcast. I want to thank all of you for joining us to talk about the E6B modification effort and how the team employed Get Real, Get Better principles to deliver improved capability to the fleet. If you would like to hear other Get Real, Get Better efforts going on around the command, check out the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.